Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Tuesday, November the 5th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we recap Miami's win from the box score and beyond. Key data, snap counts, and how the Finns have climbed out of the cellar in some prominent team statistics, plus pro football focus grades and numbers, and Miami's production coming from a bunch of castoffs and misfits. Finally, we'll update Miami's projected draft order and consider some alternatives at quarterback to Tua Tungavailoa. All of that and much more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Find the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. I have a great chart in there on the current aftermath article showing you about all the young players and misfits that were added to the roster and are contributing now for Miami. We'll go over that here on the podcast as well. And with that, why don't we go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. I am jumping on an airplane here in just a couple of hours, but I was able to drag myself out of bed at 7 a.m. to get up and get all this stuff done and the aftermath article up on LockedOnDolphins.com so y'all can get your daily dose of this Miami Dolphins football team. So again, my apologies for any loss in audio quality. We are not in the best acoustic environment inside this hotel room, and my brother is currently in the shower. So if you pick up that sound, I do apologize. We are doing the best we have with what we have. Let's go ahead and jump now into the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the aftermath. We do it every single Tuesday here on Locked On Dolphins, taking a look at the key stats and snap counts from the game on Sunday. And it's getting more fun to do this now because the Dolphins are playing better and I have more positive stats to relay to you guys. And sure, there are plenty of negatives we can talk about, but why do that? Why not have some fun and talk about the positives for this team going forward? And we start here with the team stats. And really, this game's box score was kind of the converse of some previous games where Miami outplayed some teams in the box score, a little bit at least, but lost the game. And now the Dolphins get outgained by the Jets and beat them rather handily. The Dolphins took the lead with 6.19 to go in the second quarter and captured that lead on the Preston Williams touchdown, his second of the game, and then never relinquished the lead And that, obviously, was the longest time they led in a game this season. They also moved up the board in some key statistics on pro football reference. The offense now ranks, check that, the passing offense now ranks 29th in football, and their nine touchdown passes ranks tied for 24th in the NFL. But the team still does check in dead last in completion percentage and 31st in yards per attempt. And one of the reasons I've been so positive on Brian Flores and his staff lately, and trust me, it's many, many, many reasons that go just beyond what you see on Sundays. It's more in-depth than that. And one of the reasons is the coaching staff he put in place, and that includes Chad O'Shea, who we all know by now coordinated the red zone offense for the New England Patriots the last few years. And now, even though his offense ranks 30th in scoring, they are 15th in red zone touchdown conversion rate at 61%. And the third down offense, better than last season, is up now to 26th best in the NFL. The Dolphins' running game is still a work in progress, however. They rank last in yards per carry and 31st in yards per game, but again, they have basically no running backs and not much of an offensive line to speak of, so what are you going to do there? 
On the other side, on defense, there's some impressive numbers as well, but again, the running game is still a major problem for the Dolphins on that side of the ball as well, as they rank 31st in yards per game allowed and 27th at 4.7 yards per carry allowed this year in the National Football League. The passing defense, however, ranks 20th in the NFL. That could be a function of the fact that teams want to run the ball more on them because they do rank 29th in yards per pass allowed, and they surrender the fourth highest passer rating against. They did jump to 27th in quarterback hits, and they rank 30th in sacks and pressure rate. And if we go back over just the last four games, when all these improvements really began against Washington and Ernest, the Dolphins over those four games, if you remove the onside kick return for a touchdown against Buffalo, which let's be honest, we should do that because that really doesn't give you an indicator for how this Dolphins defense plays. And we could remove all the nitty gritty stuff from the Jets game, for instance, like the safety, but we're going to keep that in because averages tend to work themselves out over the course of a long period of time in the NFL and other defenses have to deal with that kind of stuff as well. So we'll just remove the onside kick return for the Buffalo game. The Dolphins have allowed an average of 21 and a half points per game over those four games, and that would rank 15th in the NFL right now if that was their current season average. So very impressive work from a team that lacks star power, a team that lacks really NFL requisite talent, and a team that lacks any high draft picks for the most part outside of Christian Wilkins, a first round pick, or Jerome Baker, a third round pick, Raquan McMillan, a second round pick. That's pretty much it for high draft picks that were brought in by this team and guys that were not cast off from other teams. It's impressive work this defense is doing with limited resources as far as the bodies they have on that side of the ball. And although they do rank near the bottom in so many categories, one of the reasons they've been competitive in games, they don't beat themselves. We heard Adam Gase talk about it at the press conference yesterday, how the Jets consistently beat themselves. And well, we know that's what he did here in Miami for three years. The Dolphins now rank number one in fewest penalties against and number one in penalty yardage assessed against them. The team is the most disciplined team in the National Football League crazy how the attention to detail and the things that matter, the things that take no talent can have a big impact on your football team. We'll circle back here to snap counts and PFF data in the next segment, but I want to go back here to the bottom of the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com and the aftermath as I wrote that third segment as I do every aftermath article, and this one's called The Anatomy of a Win because I wanted to look at how this team found a way to win despite the fact that their roster like I mentioned, is just made up of guys that were castoffs from other teams or guys that weren't thought highly enough to be drafted. And few head coaches have been handicapped in the NFL by their roster in the fashion of Brian Flores. And basically, I would say no one ever has been handicapped to this degree. And they had three blue chip players coming into the season, all of them now either gone or injured for the rest of the year. He's had many guys leave the roster at the cutdown day, cutting off veterans, bringing in new guys, new rookies, street free agents. And still he finds a way to be competitive four weeks in a row. And although once a player enters the league, his path becomes irrelevant to his success in the league. But there's a reason first round picks and top tier free agents are so coveted. Every team is allotted one original first round draft pick and few teams are capable of fixing problems with a pile of cash and free agency. But the best teams curate talent at every level and every turn and look at every nook and cranny to find those players. And that's what Miami has done. Let's go down this list here of the way the Dolphins acquired these players. Ryan Fitzpatrick, a middle tier free agent. Mark Walton, street free agent, signed in May. Alan Hearns was a starter in the game. In camp, street free agent. Clive Walford was added to the roster last week. Durham Smythe, a 2018 fourth round draft pick. Jamarcus Webb, in season free agent. Michael Dieter, 2019 third round pick. Evan Baim acquired for 
a seventh round conditional pick. Keaton Sutherland was a street free agent. Chris Reed, a bottom tier free agent for a couple million bucks. Jesse Davis, former undrafted player, signed off a practice squad. Taco Charlton, a waiver claim pickup. Devon Godshaw, a fifth round pick. John Jenkins, a September 1st pickup. My brother's coughing in the shower right now. Hope you guys heard that. Jerome Baker, just a third round pick. Vince Beagle, a September 1st pickup in the Alonzo trade. Raekwon McMillan, a second round draft pick. Jamal Wiltz, a free agent, formerly on the Patriots practice squad and a UDFA. Eric Rowe was an absolute bottom tier free agent signing. Ryan Lewis, an in-street free agent. Nick Needham, 2019 undrafted free agent. And Bobby McCain, a 2015 fifth round pick. So those were the starters in the game on Sunday. And basically no high assets spent on those players. Of course, you have Christian Wilkins and Devontae Parker, who were first round picks, and they contributed. But still, it's not going to really push the needle over the edge in terms of you saying this Dolphins roster is loaded with a bunch of high resource players. They are getting it done right now with a bottom barrel roster, a roster that a lot of people have told me basically have less NFL talent than some college powerhouse programs. And with that, the Dolphins have competed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New York Jets, the Buffalo Bills, and they almost beat Washington as well. It's so impressive. I think they're finding what a Brian Flores guy is. And to me, a Brian Flores guy is a guy that works his ass off. He pays attention to every detail, no matter how small it is. And a Brian Flores guy is accountable and has the back of the man next to him. And that's why I think a team full of Brian Flores guys will restore this Miami Dolphins organization to the prominence and pride that it once had back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Just have to wait a little bit longer. It's coming, Dolphins. And something else is coming, the holiday season. And if you can't find a workout that keeps you engaged, Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout from the convenience of your own home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started today. And once you get in shape and you're feeling good about yourself, but maybe your manhood's not quite up to task like you are, or maybe you just want some extra performance in the bedroom. So listen up. It's time to talk about BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, tanking, beating Adam Gase, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever your coach is sitting on the sideline playing Sudoku. And this isn't just for guys like Adam Gase who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants that extra function to enhance their performance once they get in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness like an Adam Gase press conference. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code MLB to try it today for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. For someone that has to fly across the country for the next seven or so hours, I'm sure in a good mood on this Monday. And maybe it is the Victory Monday. Maybe it's because I just 
am kind of blind to the fact that maybe they might have missed out on Tua Tungavailoa. Whatever the reason it is, we're happy today on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Victory Tuesday now on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. I'm forgetting my days as I travel across the country. Let's jump back into the article up on LockdownDolphins.com, reviewing the Dolphins' snap counts and key metrics from ProFootballFocus.com. I'm going to have the film review on tomorrow's show for you guys, as well as crossover Wednesday here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, Lockdown Dolphins podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. But for now, let's talk about PFF and snap counts. The Dolphins offense played 69 snaps on Sunday. Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, played all 69 of those. At running back, Mark Walton got 51 of the reps, and Kalen Balaj got 21. And you might ask yourself, Travis, that equals 72. It's because Miami ran more 21 personnel in this game than they had all season before, and that means more Chandler Cox, who had 12 snaps in the game. So in total, the Dolphins have 84 snaps among running backs and 69 total snaps in the game. You do the math. At receiver, Devontae Parker led the way with 50. 57 snaps. Preston Williams played 51. Alan Hearns was third with 30. Albert Wilson next with 25. And Jakeem Grant next with 14. Let's do a quick aside here real quick. Do we think Jakeem Grant gets the benefit of the next three years of that contract? He has an opt-out after this season, and the Dolphins can basically get out of that deal scot-free. And if they go ahead and go forward into 2020, they're going to owe Jakeem Grant a bunch more money. And right now, based upon his snap counts, his workload, I just don't think he's worth it, and they might have to say goodbye to him in the offseason. At tight end, Mike Gesicki plays 42 snaps, Durham Smythe plays 25, and Clive Walford, fresh off the street, plays 10 snaps for you. On the offensive line, four guys played every down. Jamarcus Webb, Michael Dieter, Evan Bame, and Jesse Davis all played 69 snaps. Chris Reed played 51, and Keaton Sutherland played 25. Not Kiefer Sutherland, but Keaton Sutherland. And you might tell yourself again, Travis, that equals 76 snaps. They only played 69. Miami was in heavy personnel for seven snaps in the game, six offensive linemen. And the offensive line grades were actually pretty good for this game. Jesse Davis got the best honors as the highest graded run blocker. His 80.5 grade was his personal best of the season, and he did not allow a pressure in pass protection. Evan Bame had a 71.1 grade in his third start this season at center, and in pass protection, he allowed two pressures, one hit, and one hurry. And off to his right, Chris Reed still finds himself in that platoon, even with Shaq Calhoun inactive. He allowed two pressures in the game, including one sack, but he was the team's third highest run blocker. And Pro Football Focus did not give Michael Dieter any pressures allowed, but I'm pretty sure one of those sacks, I think the one that went to uh, Evan Bame up front, was Dieter's fault for not picking up a stunt. He came clean through the B-gap on the left guard, so I tend to think that was Michael Dieter's fault. Ryan Fitzpatrick had an elite blue grade for this game. His 90.6 grade is by far the best mark for a Dolphins quarterback this season. He averaged eight yards per attempt and completed two-thirds of his passes, 66.7%. And it helps that four of his receivers graded out above average in the game. Jakeem Grant was one of those guys, but Mike Gesicki led the way, catching all six of his targets for an average of 15.8 yards per grab. He hauled in 134-yard pass, moved the chains four times, and averaged 2.8 yards after the catch. Devontae Parker picked up four first downs. All of his catches moved the chains. He averaged 3.8 yards after the catch, and he finished with an 80% catch rate, four out of five. The one drop he had, he came right back a couple plays later and caught a touchdown pass, so immediate atonement for Devontae Parker. He also registered a perfect 158.3 passer rating on throws targeted in his direction. Preston Williams had five first downs, all five of his catches for 72 yards and two touchdowns. His passer rating on targets was next best at 123.1, and he averaged 14.3 yards per catch. Mark Walton averaged just 
2.4 yards per carry, but 2.17 yards after contact, so making the most out of his limited opportunities on the offensive side of the football. We spin things over to the defensive side, and Taco Charlton leads the way among all defensive linemen with 51 snaps. Devon Godshaw was out there for 46. The Dolphins played 67 snaps total, so that gives you an idea of their percentages. Christian Wilkins played 37 snaps, John Jenkins 28, and Robert Kimdiche, after playing 15 on Monday night, plays just two snaps in this game. Maybe he has a little bit more conditioning to do to get back in the full swing of things. At linebacker, Jerome Baker played every single snap, all 67. Vince Beagle was next with 54. And man, you see his eye in the locker room after the game yesterday. He has a real shiner after getting poked in the eye, but he did return to the game and played almost every down for Miami. Sam McGuavin was next with 34 snaps, and Raekwon McMillan only had 30 in the game. Linebacker Trent Harris played 15 in the secondary. Nick Needham led all cornerbacks with 63 snaps. Ryan Lewis played 60, and Jamal Willis played 59. So consider that for just one minute. Sam Darnold's passer rating, this golden boy, number three pick in the draft a couple years ago, has an 85.4 passer rating against a secondary of Nick Needham, Ryan Lewis, Jamal Wills, and then Eric Rowe playing safety. Other cornerbacks, Chris Lamonts, 34 snaps. Ken Crawley just got here this week. He played seven snaps. And Xavier Crawford also got here this week. He played four snaps in the game. At safety, Bobby McCain did not leave the field. He played all 67 snaps. And Eric Rowe talked about him playing safety. He played 65 snaps in this game and looked pretty damn good doing it. And it's another week and another game where Vince Beagle leads the team in pressures. This guy has been all over the field. He hit Darnold four times and hurried him two more for six total pressures. He made a run stop and was not targeted in pass coverage. Charles Harris had his best game of the year. Good for Chuck. His 85.3 PFF grade was second best on the defense and by far his best personal mark on the season. And he did it with steady run defense, two run stops, and two pressures as a pass rusher. Raquan McMillan had the best grade on the day for the defense, an elite 92.2 grade. McMillan had three run stops and two pressures, and the hit he had on Sam Donald resulted in an interception. Jerome Baker continues his weekly progress after a slow start to the season. He pitched in with two pressures and allowed just 25 yards on four pass targets. And Christian Wilkins, he balled out. He picked up four pressures in the game, one sack, one hit, two hurries, and he made three run stops against the running game with no missed tackles on the day for that matter. Eric Rowe might have found his home at safety. He made seven tackles, two of those for run stops, did not miss any tackles. He hurried Darnold on a pressure and allowed just 29 yards on five pass targets. And then we talked about this yesterday. Nick Needham and Jamal Wiltz both had six tackles, three assists. Needham had the sack, and Wiltz had his first career pick. So a big day for this Dolphins defense, and many of these guys, unheralded names, guys that maybe wouldn't have made other rosters, could be on practice squads across the league, are getting invaluable experience and developing the bottom part of that roster. It's encouraging. Brian Flores has these guys playing hard, has them playing spirited. Everyone's bought in. Everyone's accountable and cares about the man next to them. Those are key traits that make for long-term sustained success winning football teams in this league. Okay, we are going to come back on the other side and talk about some alternatives to the quarterback position other than Tua Tungavailoa. We'll update you on the tank status and all that fun stuff. All of that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. (laughs) 
despite the victory Sunday over Adam Gase and the New York Jets and the Bengals idle for the week and not playing and staying at 0-8, as well as Washington losing and the Falcons being in the mix and the Jets even jumping Miami in the draft order, the Dolphins still maintain the highest odds to, re- to obtain the first pick in next year's draft. It has fallen from upwards of 79% now down to the high 50s, around, I think, 58%, but still the second place team in that list is the Bengals, and they're just at 20%. So the NFL still believes strongly that Miami will obtain that first draft pick and find a way to get their quarterback. We'll talk about some alternatives here to the quarterback position that's not Tua Tungavailoa here in just one second. But I want to talk about myself here for a second, as I am now 3-0 as a credentialed media member at Hard Rock Stadium. In fact, the Dolphins' last three wins all had one thing in common. I was there for them, and the good news is that just might become a weekly thing here before you know it. But we go back now into the FPI idea, and we'll circle back to the tank update here momentarily. But real quick, I want to discuss some alternatives at the position that's not to a tongue of Iloa for the quarterback. And obviously, we know about the draft. We know Joe Burrow is the hot name right now, but he still makes me awfully apprehensive to go all in on him because he's played eight good football games, really, in his career. And when you have success in one scheme for one year, I mean, that's better than not playing well, but it still makes me question what happened in the past. And really, he just played those eight good games in his career. So why was he so bad in previous schemes and previous years in college football? I heard one theory that it's because he's playing exclusively from the shotgun and it helps speed up the footwork helps his reads and helps him get out of the pocket quicker you can play a lot of of work in the NFL out of the shotgun and not have to go under center but that's a theory out there that exists I don't buy into that Jake Fromm has produced from the word go in his college career he's a big time performer on big stages the national championship game as a true freshman damn damn near beat Alabama and Tua Tungavailoa that year he's the ultimate leader a high character guy he made some big time clutch throws on third down in that Florida game to win that big game in the SEC on Saturday I tend to think he'd be option two for this team based upon what this quarterback or this staff likes at the quarterback position Chad O'Shea Brian Flores Jerry Szaplinski the entire crew I think Jake Fromm jives with the things they like at the position we know about Justin Herbert and Jordan Love the former Herbert I think will wind up getting taken off Miami's list when they do a deep dive on his evaluation because of his mental shortcomings and the fact that he's not situationally aware when he should be Jordan Love is better in that regard, but his tape is just so bad this year. It's it's really, really tough to watch on such a bad team that he probably has to go back to school. So I wonder if he'll even be available. But what about some of the veterans that are out there? We talked about Matt Ryan on the podcast a little bit yesterday. He still has a good six or seven years of prime football left in him. If the Falcons fire Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov, which it sounds like they might, if the new GM and head coach want to go after a new quarterback, that could be a guy that becomes available if they get that first pick and they want Tua and they want to trade Matt Ryan. Maybe you can get him for a late first round pick or something like that. That would be a good coup. What about Cam Newton? I know folks aren't the biggest fan of his, but if he's healthy, if he's right and he could come back medically clear, then you have to explore that option because he gives you so many benefits in the running game and what he can do down in the red zone to really help this offense score touchdowns at an even greater rate than their 61% right now. I think if he's healthy, he's on the list. If he's not, I would go nowhere near him. What about Gardner Minshew? 
What would you give up for Gardner Minshew? Let's say that Nick Foles comes back next week and gets back his starting job and Minshew goes back to the bench and they keep Foles going into next season with that big contract. What if they want to trade us Gardner Minshew? He kind of has that Russell Wilson improvisational gene to his game. And I think that pairs well with a good running game and a good defense, which is what Brian Flores wants to build. Would it be like a second round pick maybe for Minshew? Would you do that? And the last point for Minshew is, of course, Go Cougs. You know how it goes. Phil Rivers, Tom Brady, Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think that Rivers or Brady leaves Los Angeles or the Patriots, but I do think that Bridgewater gets out of New Orleans, but I'm not paying that dude $25 million a year. I think he was a the definition of a game manager, which is okay. It's not bad to be a game manager, but I'm not paying elite quarterback money to a game manager when I can get Jake Fromm for $4 bucks a year in college football to manage the game as well or probably even better than Teddy Bridgewater next season. And the Dolphins will enter the draft next year with all 13 picks, I think. I don't know. It's so hard to keep track of at this point with all those late round conditional picks and all the fourth and fifth and sixth round picks changing hands and those Kenny Stills and Laramie Tunzel deals. We have it up on the draft tanker, uh, draft pick tracker up on LockedOnDolphins.com, tracking all the picks this year and in 2021, as well as Pittsburgh's schedule, Houston's schedule. You guys know that Pittsburgh and Houston both won on Sunday, and those picks fell down to 17th and 26th overall. The Dolphins' own organic pick is fourth overall. And looking ahead at the Bengals' schedule, as we assume they're probably the biggest threat to Miami, it kind of takes on new shape now. They go to the or they play at home for the Ravens next week. That's a game they're going to just lose by a million points. They'll probably lose at the Raiders. Then they get the Steelers at home. That could be a possible chance to get a win against Mason Rudolph. The Jets is the big one. They can possibly beat that team. And they have the Browns two more times. Hopefully, Freddie Kitchens is still there because that Browns team is loaded, but is so poorly coached. They can lose any given game. They go to the Patriots as well. That's a blowout loss. And of course, the Week 16 game against Miami. And then Week 17 at home against the Cleveland Browns. Maybe Ryan Finley sparks some magic and they find a way to get that W. It would be nice to see the Dolphins win one or two games and still get that first pick in the draft. The Dolphins do still have the advantage in the strength of schedule battle over both those teams. The Jets, however, are now above the Dolphins because of a few points in the strength of schedule battle. But again, plenty of games left. Maybe the Jets can take care of the Dolphins when they come down or when they go up rather to Jersey to face the Jets on the road. All right, that's going to be my time for this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We'll come back with you guys tomorrow and get to the All-22. Looking very much forward to diving into that. But as for today, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.